Hi everybody, and welcome to the Toasted Tale, again with me, Jim. Today, we're going to go back to our roots and spin the subject randomizer in order for us to find an interesting topic for us to do a bit of research about and find a story that perhaps you and I haven't heard before and we can leave this whole experience feeling a little bit brighter. How about that? Today's sponsor for this episode of The Toasted Tale is you guys. You are, after all, the reason I make these, and I really appreciate you joining me every week. So thank you in advance for listening. So, without any further ado, let's bring in the subject spinner and give it a turn. Okay, so today it's landed on the Irish literary renaissance play Riders to the Sea. Now this is a really interesting one, because I have not heard of this play before, but in the research, it's got some really interesting ideas. Riders to the Sea was originally written by the playwright John Millington Singe, and was first performed in 1904 in the Molesworth Hall in Dublin. Now, this particular play doesn't deal with human-to-human -human conflict like a lot of others do, but more so, it deals with one human's hopeless struggle against the impersonal and relentless cruelty of the sea. Now, to give you some context, the main character of Riders to the Sea is a lady named Myra. And now I don't want to give away many of the plot points, but quite early on, we learn that Myra's husband and five sons have been lost to the sea after an ill-fated voyage goes wrong. What an unbelievably heartbreaking thing to happen. But it surely did happen to many people in the past. Now, the play deals with themes such as religion in Ireland, where, as a staunchly Roman Catholic country, they have to deal with the superstitions and folklore surrounding the sea. Tradition versus modernity, where you have the older generation steadfast in their beliefs, butting heads with younger and more outwardly looking people. And finally, fatalism. In this play, there is the constant symbolism of death, and the reality and accepting of the demise that can happen when living near the sea, and this great ocean being, on one hand, your source of income, but on the other, your greatest threat. One of the famous speeches from the play goes a bit like this, and this is from Moira, the main character. Raising her head and speaking as if she doesn't know that anyone's around her on stage, she goes, quote, They're all gone now and there isn't anything more the sea can do to me. I'll have no call now to be up crying and praying when the wind breaks from the south. And you can hear the surf is in the east, and the surf is in the west, making a great stir with the two noises, and they hitting one on the other. I'll have no call now to be going down 
and getting holy water in the dark nights after Samhain. And I won't care what way the sea is when the other women will be keening. To her daughter now she goes, Give me the holy water, Nora. There's a small sup still on the dresser. End quote. To take her meaning as the ocean that has taken everything from her, she then appreciates that there's nothing more it can do. She no longer has to fear what more it can do to her and her family. She has been set free through her colossal grief. To be fair to the ocean as well, it is quite terrifying when you think of it. It's been described as a wet desert, where there's no food, water, or shelter. But for many people, the fear is below the surface. The great expanse of what you can't see. The shimmering, glistening surface goes down so far. Now, if imagining the vastness of the ocean brings you out in cold sweat, then you may have thalassophobia. Fear of the ocean and other large bodies of water. Now, this may have stopped you from visiting the beach, swimming in the sea, or travelling on a boat. Either way, it would definitely have had an impact. And for those of you who don't have thalassophobia, this all may be very confusing. But is this fear justified? I mean, for sure, there are reasons. Some genetic. You could argue, through the Darwinian theory of evolution, that, and prepare to have your mind blown. But the ancestors who avoided deep bodies of water were less likely to drown in deep bodies of water. I know, a profound point. But this would have meant that they would have had a better chance of passing their genes onto the next generation and being successful. Additionally, there's the argument of the fear of the unknown, and there is a lot we don't know about our oceans. If you're on a boat, then all you can really see is what's above the surface, and what you can see if you pop your head below. But what is beyond that veil, when the light can't reach further into the water and you just see an ever-darkening eternity? Now that fear feels quite logical to me. Other reasons you may have philosophobia may be due to traumatic events from your past. If you came close to drowning when you were younger, witnessed a shark attack, never learned to swim maybe, or were even told scary stories about large bodies of water, then philosophobia may have been triggered in you. Maybe it was just started by large groups of water, but what is the largest group of water but the ocean? There is indeed a lot of fun to be had on the water, however, and for those people who are able to enjoy being on the ocean or on the lakes, you can have a great time. So, for those who are able to get over their fear of water, then great fun can be achieved. But whilst there's a lot of good that can happen, that doesn't cover over the negatives. 
If you are morbidly curious, then there is a list on Wikipedia of notable people who have disappeared mysteriously at sea. With records going back to the 13th century, you can just read the different accounts of sailors and people who have gone onto the ocean and then never been seen from again, or at least never seen alive again. The most recent entry on this list is that of Maeve Kennedy McKean, who on the 2nd of April 2020 went with her eight-year-old son, Gideon McKean, canoeing off outside their Maryland residence in Shadyside. They'd went there to quarantine during the COVID-19 pandemic, and emergency calls were received around 4.30pm that day from a man who reported seeing a woman and her son, presumably the McKeans, in a small canoe near the community pier at Columbia Beach. This was after, due to high winds, the two had been swept out further to sea. McKean and her son were last sighted 10 miles south of Annapolis, near Herring Bay. The Coast Guard, boats and helicopters did search for over 23 hours before finding their overturned canoe at 7pm on April the 3rd, 2020. Three hours later, at 7.30pm, Maryland officials had to call off the search due to darkness, and it was on this day where Maeve and Gideon were presumed dead after being lost at sea. Now trust the media to whip up a story from this. They referred to these deaths as part of the Kennedy curse, Maeve being the granddaughter of Robert Kennedy, the 64th United States Attorney General and brother to John F. Kennedy, the 35th President of the United States. Now, if you're aware of these two, then you'll also know that they were both murdered. And they haven't been the only Kennedys to have died prematurely. With at least 12 previous Kennedys being killed or dying prematurely, there does seem to be some kind of hex on this famous American house. All of this is to say that even with modern technology, the ocean is still an incredibly dangerous place. Yes, you can have a lot of fun, but people still do get lost at sea, and the struggles and grief felt in those characters in the Riders to the Sea are still felt by people around the world today. Thank you so very much for tuning in to today's Toasted Tale podcast. I really enjoyed looking into the Irish play Riders to the Sea. It also allowed me to go down a bit of a rabbit hole into the fear of water, and also everything else that encompasses. If you enjoyed today's podcast, then we release new episodes every Tuesday. You can stay in contact with us by following me on Twitter and Facebook. My handle is at Podcast Tale, and it's there that new episodes get released. And also, 
anything I find interesting while doing the research is put there too. If you would like to support the show further, then I would really appreciate you liking, sharing and commenting this episode, as it really helps to get it out to new audiences. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Toasted Tale podcast on whichever platform you prefer to get regular updates of new episodes. Thank you once again for listening to the end of today's Toasted Tale podcast. I really appreciate your support. I really enjoy making these shows, but knowing that I'm sharing this experience with you makes it all the better. I hope you all have a lovely rest of day and that you find success in all you try. I will speak to you all again soon for another Toasted Tale by the Fireside.